1: This is Above Average Intelligence, a production of the DSR Network. Each week, hosts Mark Polymeropoulos and David Rothkopf are joined by leading experts from the intelligence community for expert analysis on the biggest security challenges around the world.
2: Welcome to the podcast. This is the Above Average Intelligence podcast. And our guest today actually was on when it had a different name. So uh, I think that's the first time she has heard this. It's called AAI. We're trying to make it catchy. But uh, I'm Mark Palomaropoulos, former CIA officer, and this is uh, uh, the DSR AII, AAI podcast. Um, today, I am more than very happy. I'm thrilled to welcome as my guest, Alex Finley, who is a former officer of the CIA's Director of Operations, same place where I worked, uh, where she served in West Africa and Europe. Her writing has appeared in Slate, Politico, and other publications. She's the voice behind something that I actually was a huge fan of, still am, the, the viral Twitter feed YachtWatch, hashtag YachtWatch, as she's smiling now as I'm saying this, um, that actually tracks the movements of Russian oligarchs' yachts, which I, th- I think I want one of these things for the summer because I'm going to go back to the Greek islands. I've got to find one. Um, and of course, she's spoken to a variety of media outlets, C SPAN. Um, Sirius XM's Yahoo, uh, the Cypher Brief, the Spy Museum, and again, numerous other uh, uh, forms in the media as a true expert on Russia and Russia information operations. And then for something that I've really enjoyed kind of in my retirement, as I'm sitting on the beach in the Outer Banks, she's penned three satires about the CIA, Victor in the Rubble, Victor in the Jungle, and Victor in Trouble. Um, And I'm hoping there'll be, certainly there'll be more. Um, Three outstanding books. I found them hilarious. There's certainly some of those uh, in some of the content I can make fun of myself in those too. Um, But Alex Finley, welcome. You are, as I said in the opening uh, uh, just before we got on in the green room, you are the perfect guest for today. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the nice introduction
2: too. Absolutely.
1: I'm going to keep you around as my cheerleader.
2: There you go, of course. Um, Well, look, you know, Russian active measures uh, and active measures campaigns are back in the news. You know, what a shock. Um, And so we'll talk a little bit about the yachts later on because we do have to figure out. Uh, you know, where they're hiding these days. That's not really what we're going to spend the majority of time today about. Um, but the first thing I want to do is give you an opportunity to say, well, to say four words. Um, uh, so go ahead, uh, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about your sub stack.
1: I told you so.
2: I told you so. That's <laughs> right. Um, or you could actually say, fuck it, I told you so, or something even more. Um, because, you know, reading your sub stack, uh, uh, and we're going to, this is talking about the Smirnoff case, um, I was struck by two things, both kind of again a little bit of validation, uh, but also frustration. So, tell us about you know your thoughts when this whole um, this whole kind of caper emerged about an F- FBI informant kind of gone rogue, um, but really why it's important, uh, and and uh, we'll kind of take it from there. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the news last week was that this guy, Alexander Smirnov, who the Republican Party had touted as the whistleblower, the smoking gun to connect uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden to corruption in Ukraine, turns out, one, he is a liar, and two, he was meeting with Russian intelligence officials, <laughs> including on yachts, so we can tie all of that in, Um the, the really frustrating and irritating part when I wrote my rant, which is my substack, when I wrote it last week, um, was that it, it, we should not be surprised by this. Um, and I also think that we keep letting Republicans off the hook by saying they were unwitting or, you know, they're useful idiots. So if we go back farther, um, in 2021, the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, um Released an unclassified report about what Russia was doing to interfere in the 2020 elections, and in that they outlined very much a network that was being set up uh, through Andrei Derkach. Uh, Derkach, excuse me, a, a former Ukrainian legislator an oligarch um, who is an asset of Russian intelligence, and others in Ukraine uh, setting up this network to spread precisely this story, that the Bidens were corrupt and doing corrupt business with Burisma in Ukraine. And he was passing that information to Rudy Giuliani. Uh, The DNI pointed out that Derkash and those within his network were reaching out to U.S. media outlets, to U.S. government officials, um, to U.S. politicians, to all kinds of influential people in the United States. Smirnov's story simply mirrors that story that already came out. When the DNI wrote this report again back in 2021, they said even a lot of this information, a lot of this influence operation had been going on since possibly even before 2014 with the invasion of Crimea. So the story isn't new. The fact that it comes from Russian intelligence isn't new. Um, and what's been so frustrating, again, is this Republican Party touting what we know is a fake story uh, planted into our information system by Russian intelligence, and then the media covers it as if it's all legitimate uh, as well, when there's zero evidence about any of it. Uh, And for some reason, last week's meeting, uh, last week's indictment and the court documents involving Smirnov finally captured a lot of people's attention, even though, again, I mean, Rudy Giuliani was meeting with the same network um, along the way. So, yeah, that was my, um, my anger and my, I told you so, and my irritation all wrapped
2: in well, one. Well, I think that, I think, first of all, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I think you're right. Um, I, 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 too, was similarly, I guess, triggered by this because, uh, and I, and I, you know, I certainly, it's, it's well known that I, I was involved, uh, along with uh, several other, other colleagues, in signing a letter um, uh, warning uh, about Russian uh, influence operations. Um, and so there was a little bit more uh, in terms of the, the, I told you so, but in, I, I remember in particular, of course, it's, you know, kind of ingrained in my memory when I went down voluntarily, um, to testify at kind of the, the, uh, the, weaponization committee or whatever the heck it's being called. And I voluntarily went down there. Uh, my testimony, which was brief and very concise, simply said, I wrote the letter. I, I helped write the letter. I certainly signed the letter and I believe in the letter. Because Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, was working with Andrei Durkosh who was a Russian intelligence uh, asset. That's it. And, you know, and just full stop. Um, and uh, the fact that Durkash, you know, kind of kind of pops up again in this whole Smirnoff um, uh, caper is pretty amazing, even to the point where I was reading that, you know, there's this there's a famed hotel where they were all kind of milling about um, o- over the years. Um, but I think that you, you mentioned something that I that I do find frustrating as well, because I think the media has failed on this. Um, And and not kind of just grasping uh, that this this has so much of this has roots in in Russian intelligence, even if sometimes some of the things um, that the Russians do is actually, you know, you know, promulgate actual real information kind of mixed in with other stuff. I remember in 2017, when they hacked into the the campaign of, uh, of Macron's campaign in France and put it out, you know, that's what the Russians do um but uh but the media just seems to uh, to miss this but i think w- one thing i want you to reflect on a little bit more now is is how is the republican party you know the old party of reagan kind of be- become so i don't know kind of you know entrapped in this kind of russian web of crazy uh it's it, to me it's it, it's amazing and so you know and and then you have to ask yourselves um are they being duped um do they know but they don't care uh do they know or they think it's fine um, you know, I think that that to me is is pretty scandalous uh, because a lot of this kind of tends to move towards well, they actually they knew and they didn't care. What are your thoughts?
1: My guess is I, I struggle with this as well, um, because you don't want to believe the simple answer. Um, my guess is that we have a spectrum. You have some people who um, their their views truly align. Uh, they like what what Russia is. They like what Putin is. They like those policies and they see. Uh, Russian help is helping them and and they're all for that. Uh, I think you have some people who are bought. Uh, I, we have seen enough. Uh, I, I cover in my um, Foreign Influence Operations course, um, I look at you know uh, Russian operations in a bunch of other countries just so we can sort of draw parallels to the United States without looking at it through a political lens. We have numerous examples across Europe of politicians just straight up being bought by russian intelligence so to think that this hasn't happened in the united states i i think is naive Um, certainly those approaches have been made and look you know just statistically if you throw enough spaghetti at the wall something is going to stick so statistically probably a few of them are actually on the payroll in some form or other Um, direct taking again you're an intelligence officer you know i you know taking direct taskings uh, or is it um, look, this, this sort of helps both of us, and so we're going to work on it that way. Uh, but, but all of that is, is manipulative, all of that is corruption, um, and all of that needs to be considered as part of Russia's operation, even if the person is a true believer. Um, th- this has also been bothering me. If we look back at the Cold War, right, one of the best ways that we used in the CIA to recruit assets was ideology. We got people who, who believed in democracy and believed in, in what the West stood for. So why would we think that that same type of um, recruitment device doesn't work now, but in the opposite direction? We have plenty of people who are looking and saying, we like the Christian nationalism, the, the Christo-fascist developments that we, st- that we see in Russia, and we want to see the same thing here in the United States. So I think you have some people who ideologically align with it um, as well.
2: And I guess one of the questions on this too is, uh, so, and I agree with you. You know, why do we think we're so much better than, you know, frankly, Europe that that we're not susceptible to these things? I mean, you know, the the uh, friend of the show, Michael Weiss, um, he's come on a lot. He, you know, he's one of the editors of The Insider, and they've they've published over the last, you know, several weeks, really incredible exposés of Russian intelligence operations in, in Europe. So, I, Alex, I think you're right that it certainly can happen here. But, but one question I have for you, which I again, you can have politicians doing things that are wrong, that are ignorant, they're dupes, maybe they're doing it on purpose, but what you also have, you know, and think about this in terms of your expertise, you have a promulgation arm, um, which is called Fox news. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I have to always kind of caveat this. I have friends over there. There are some good reporters there, but, but in general, I mean, Fox news pushes out these narratives, uh, particularly late night, which, which literally are Kremlin talking points. Um, it, you know I, I think i would i would get a sense you know the, in the you know at sbr headquarters or the gru or fsb they're popping champagne corks cuz they have an arm of dissemination that is just it, it's a gift that keeps on giving what are your thoughts
1: yeah for sure uh, and i think some of that probably naturally comes out of fox news uh, but again we have so many examples of journalists that are on the payroll of russian intelligence and so to think that that doesn't exist also in the united states at Fox News or at other networks, you know, I don't know. We have plenty of sort of journalists and influencers across a huge media spectrum at at this point. Um, Because yes, you have Fox News, but you have these other outlets too that are pushing all of these things um, and social media outlets and influencers from across, you know, all kinds of different uh, ways of getting this information out. So yeah, absolutely. They have just a huge, (laughs) a huge sort of narrative laundering system in place. And then when you get Tucker Carlson to come on over to Moscow and talk about how great it is uh at the same time that they're killing Navalny uh it's it's absolutely insane to me that people are putting all of these things together and people are like no it's pretty great over here because they have shopping carts that you know you put a little coin in it you can't steal it
2: What was your reaction to that the, the I actually to be honest, I didn't watch the Tucker interview I couldn't do it it was several I I mean I watched snippets of it here and there I just I, I couldn't get myself to do it I should have I'm supposed to be able to do this, but it was too nauseating to me um, because it, uh, primarily because I knew it would catch on. I mean, there, it had millions of views. What's your, what's your reaction to the interview? Or did you watch it even?
1: I I, I like you, I watched snippets of it. It was actually, right. it was pretty boring.
2: It was boring. I mean, yeah, this is the thing, right?
1: Yeah. right? It was like, it was a Putin like history lesson and He was like droning on and on right. and Tucker just nodding along and smiling. Um, so I, I think actually it was not a huge uh, success in that sense for for either side um but then you know tucker's little little uh, you know uh, trips around moscow talking about how great the, the the metro was and the the ocean i mean the grocery store he was in is a is a european grocery store that's that's there it's, it's french, french right yeah it's a yeah. french company <laughs> yeah so you know and the, the escalator they were showing everything like they they have all of that in france so it's it's really not that big a thing so i think tucker maybe needs to just get out more.
2: Let's going back to the Smirnoff case. You know, one of the things that I found uh, incredible, and you know, this is not to kind of ding our former colleagues at the FBI, but it's to question uh, uh, the FBI a, a bit on this. You know, my understanding of it, and perhaps you have a, a more granular, um, uh, you know, uh, granular de- details, is that this was an FBI field office. Um, I think it was out in Seattle that ran Smirnoff as a in a criminal on a criminal squad, not a counterintelligence squad. Um, what it you know? As reading through the the kind of the, the DOJ paperwork, they met him every day or every other day, or communicated with him for ten years, paid him staggering sums of money. Um, I do think there should be some questions asked uh, of the FBI here. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on their role in this? Uh, uh, because again, you know, not not to not to denigrate our old colleagues, but you know, one of the things that you know when I was at you know at CIA headquarters, kind of overseeing some of this stuff. It, it, it was clear every once in a while that FBI headquarters wasn't always aware what their field offices were doing. And if it was a criminal's case, maybe the counterintelligence folks, the CI folks don't know. So, uh, but but it's pretty clear to me that the FBI has some explaining to do.
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be a major scrub of all of that intel. Uh, I think w- when I was reading the court documents, what I was thinking to myself is, uh, you know, I, we we were getting snippets in those documents, right? Of here's uh, of intel, of raw intelligence. Here's here's what he told his handler. Um, and what I was reading myself, is, well, I really want to? I want to do the analysis. So w- what did they get corroboration on? So how much of this was lies? Have they figured out was lies? How much have they figured out is corroborated from other sources uh, uh, or proved to be true over time or something like that? And I think that will give a really interesting uh, profile, I guess, of Smirnov. Right? Was he Maybe he was a good source for a while. I mean, he he was there for two th- from 2010. I think is when they first started working with him, um, and I think they had some successes with him, if I understand correctly. Uh, and so then the question is, yeah, did he get turned at some point? Uh, was he simply feeding disinformation that whole time? Um, but he would provide a few little nuggets here and there to so that you know the FBI would keep meeting with him and keep him on. Um, Yet yeah, the daily. Daily interchanges with uh, with your handler, I thought was was excessive, but I'm not in the FBI. Maybe that's normal. Um, Yeah, so I think as as that intel scrub goes on, uh, that's going to be pretty interesting to see how all that plays out.
2: My wife made a funny comment when we were kind of reading, we were were watching uh, this development, reading some of the documents, and she, I think at one point, it was that they, they the FBI handler was communicating. Um, uh, with Smirnov every day, and she looked at me and she said, "We don't even talk every day." <laughs> and so it's, it's, this is this is a, this is like a, a heavy relationship. I mean, I don't know. It's it, it, I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of questions. One of the things that um, that when when we kind of come across stuff like this, I always I always look back to is you know is how are we ever going to find out what the Russians were really up to? So you know we get snippets like this. Um, and I think it's really important. But I go back to kind of the famous Matrokin archives when a you know KGB or archivist um, came out with what six trunk loads of of information, and that's how. And then of course, it was published uh, in, in the press eventually, and that's how we really got a really you know detailed look at Russian intelligence or Soviet intelligence operations, including their their active measures campaigns in the West you know, uh, do you think we're ever going to know, you know, because what's the age old question now, you know, what is Trump's fascination? Why with, with Putin, does, do the Russians have something, um, on him? Well, when people have asked me this and some people are very emphatic saying that he's a Russian asset. And I would say my response is that, you know, um, you have to be careful in saying that, uh, because, you know, cause we do need to see, um, you know, what is his fascination? I, I would love to see, you know, what, what is the SVR, the GRUFSB, even psychological profile of Trump, you know, how do they, how would they manipulate him? But, um, when do you think we're ever going to find out, you know, what the, what Russia was really up to, not only with Trump, but also, you know, in, in all their kind of election interference, all of, as you said before, um, uh, all of their kind of, uh, uh, political machinations here with every group, such as everything, what the NRA, um, or the Smirnov affair.
1: I think yeah. Certainly, all of that will take at least until Putin is gone. Uh, there, there's no way we're not we're going to learn any of that unless there's some some major defection and leak. I don't know how you would even get that anytime while while Putin is still alive. Um, yeah. It, in terms of Trump, I again I do I hear some people say he's a Russian asset, and I too I hesitate sometimes to say that because I think the the true sort of understanding when we say an asset is uh, I give you taskings and you do it right. Uh, There's really full control and handling of, of this person. And of course Trump, you can't handle him. I don't, I don't think he can actually be handled and he doesn't take taskings. Um, But he definitely uh, has that ideological alignment. I think Um, he's been in business with Russian mobsters for decades at this point point um and so either he owes people but it, but again it's it, people want this to be so black and white this is just how business is done in that world and i think that's how trump sees it that's just how business is done so it isn't uh they're tasking me and i'm responding it's hey we we each do for each other and hey you did this for me in the past now i'm going to do this for you and when you don't think of being president as being a public servant and serving others. And rather you think of it as the nation serving you, uh, you end up just doing a continuation of that same type of corrupt business that you've been doing all along. Um, And so I think we're really moving into this period where we need to start redefining how we think about Intelligence operations and influence operations and the rest. You know, technic, te, you know, traditionally, when we think about espionage, right? We're thinking about stealing secrets and stuff. And covert action, as we we called it back at our former place, or active measures that we would talk about, that was sort of a smaller subset. But here, we're really just looking at straight up corruption and how corruption is influencing everybody around us. And it just happens to be that our adversary, uh, one of our adversaries in this is is Putin, who is a totally corrupt government, a corrupt system, a corrupt business economy. Everything is corrupt about it. And so all of that is being used um, against us and to corrupt our own people who many of them are very willing to be corrupted because they like the power and the money that comes with it.
2: You know, I, I think you, we, you, some of the things you said were, were spot on in the sense of the differences. And it's, it's actually hard for maybe Americans to understand. So you think about our former job, if you're sitting at a, at a CI station, you know, we, we spot assess, develop, handle and recruit an agent. And you're either getting foreign intelligence information, you know, stealing secrets, or perhaps there's a covert action aspect. But but one of the things that I saw and reading through, and I actually did quite a while ago, but I still have it, I refer to it, the Matrokin Archives. Um, is that a Russian, you know, residency, that's their station, their field office is a little bit different, you know, so, so, you know, some of their officers will be tasked to recruit spies, but the other, you know, half of their kind of operational directives is active measures. And in some sense, it's just throwing stuff out there and seeing what kind of goes splat. Um, you know, and and it's in, in particular, you know, I, I remember in my days of, of kind of covert action, I mean, it was very regimented in the sense of we would have to present a proposal and this is what, these are the measures of effectiveness, you know, based on some kind of I don't know McKinsey, you know, business model. I wanted to shoot myself with this stuff, and and this is what we expect in the end. I mean, really, there's you know, and and you have to get approvals everywhere. I don't think in the in the Soviet and now the Russian intelligence system, they kind of go through these uh, these steps. Let's just see what you know. It's it's you know, what can we do? What can we get out of this person? Um, certainly not as uh, as structured or regimented. And so because of that, I think that you know. Uh, uh, how they run these active measures campaigns can be much more successful. Just see what works. Let's see who we have. They're not controlled. Maybe they are. It's tr- some of it's transactional um, and kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And And we also have to keep in mind that you and I live in a democratic society. So when we were doing covert action operations, it was... Uh, briefed to Congress. It required a presidential uh, finding, right? It was all done within very specific regulations and parameters. Um, and it got briefed regularly to oversight committees and that type of thing, right? Russia is not that. So Putin can set out a grand strategy. Hey, I basically want to go and mess with everybody. Um, and and these are the types of institutions that I want to destabilize. And, and then everybody just takes that cue and, and can run with it in whatever way they want. And then the oligarchs are giving the the spending, right? They're giving the money for that strategic spending. And so um, it is a little bit more entrepreneurial, maybe we could say, as to how they carry out um, those active measures, because they they really are a little bit more free. They don't have to brief it to anybody. They're not accountable to anybody. Just like you said, you just go out and you see what works.
2: There's a tweet you wrote I think in the last 24 hours. You said here is a point I think keeps getting lost when we discuss Russian influence operations. Lots of folks say why worry about Russia when our own leaders are doing this themselves. Well there's a reason our own leaders are pushing pro-Russian policies. It's because of Russian intelligence operations. And so I want to I want to kind of come back to that um, because if we accept your premise and I certainly do um, how do we combat this? You know that's that that is you know again living in an open democratic society, you know can we have a 24-7, you know, war room mentality? Um, you know, how do we combat Russian efforts to, to kind of manipulate social media? I mean, you know, you know, you and I are obviously on Twitter uh, quite a lot. And, you know, the Russian bots go crazy every time um, uh, you put something out. So, so ultimately, you know, how do we how do we combat this as a, not only as, as from the intelligence community, but really from from kind of the U.S. government as a whole?
1: Yeah. And even a societal thing, for me, the biggest thing, um, and I, what that tweet was mostly pointed at actually was, was our politicians, right? So um, I think that Russian intelligence operations are working so that a number of these people within a number of our own leaders are out there spewing Kremlin talking points, not because it's a coincidence, but because they are on board with it uh, for whatever reason. Um, And, Again, we, we've seen it, like you mentioned, Michael Weiss and The Insider recently. I mean, they had like two weeks straight where every day they were coming out with a story of another politician in Europe who's on the Russian payroll. So to think that it's not happening in the United States, again, is naive. So part of what we need to be thinking about when we counter this um, is it, what is our counterintelligence effort? What does that look like? And some of that has to go to our own leaders. Um, I'm in Brussels right now, actually, uh, where, where a lot of this is actually happening. And it's pretty interesting to listen to people to say, well, well I don't have anything. Why would they target me? I don't have anything of interest. Well, you do have something of interest. And and even just by your title or your position or your access to other people, even if you're low level, you um, you are of interest to Russian intelligence and other intelligence agencies. Um, but there, there simply isn't an understanding of what those threats look like. So, no, we can't live every single day on a war footing. But there definitely needs to be an effort, I think, to spread the idea of what counterintelligence is to spread this idea of how this information war is happening, that, again, it isn't espionage always, it isn't about stealing secrets, that it is about influencing people and spreading certain ideas and narratives into these information ecosystems in which we exist and from which we build and write our policies. Um, And so part of it is just making people understand how this is working and why it's working and why they themselves uh, need to inoculate themselves from it and again, that isn't war footing. That's just saying, oh, I I need to question if somebody approaches me, what it is that they're asking from me. Uh, oh, you want me to write a research paper? Well, who are you? You know, and can I vouch? Can I verify who you are and why you're doing these things so that I don't end up like a Greek member of parliament with five hundred thousand euros in a suitcase under my bed? Ba- under my bed. I mean, it literally happened here. And um, again, th- there are lots of different. Uh, intelligence services that are doing this. And so first, it's just raising awareness that this is going on, that it isn't just trolls and bots, it isn't just social media, it really is a huge wide information operation warfare that's going on around us, and we need a much better understanding of it. Um, Part of it also is understanding that it isn't short term. Uh, The NBC News article that I think I tweeted that in response to is about Russian influence operations against the 2024 20, election have already begun. So, yeah, they began 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Like, this, this isn't just, oh, the Russians wake up like, oh, they have another election this year. Let's get involved. No, I mean, this has been an ongoing thing. And it isn't about one election or another election. It's about democracy. It's about destroying our system of government and our system of life. Because a dictator can't have democracy anywhere else. His own people might start asking for it. And so the whole idea is to destabilize these democracies, and we need to start viewing it in that much wider uh, purview, I think. And a lot of that then also goes back to information literacy, uh, learning how to understand um, where the information is coming from. What information do we listen to? Who are our sources? and things that are very basic to you you and I, people with our backgrounds, right? But who is the source? Does the source, why is the source giving me this information? Why does the source have access to this information? Um, Is this the person that I should be listening to? And then what other outlets, journalists, sources, whatever are telling us information and how can we put all of it together to make sense uh, and figure out what actually is true? But it's difficult to do.
2: Right, and and I think, I mean, I I remember... God, sitting at a, at a high school baseball game um, here in Northern Virginia. And some friends of mine who are kind of normal people, you know, they're not kind of crazies, but they were coming up to me and they were talking about kind of the whole Hunter Biden issue and the Biden corruption. And they were just shaking their head and they were saying, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I said, where are you getting this from? Um, and so it, it does matter where people receive their information. And and sometimes, it's you know, we pick on Fox a lot um, and OAN and, and some other, you know, Newsmax, but there's a lot on Facebook. I mean, there's, you know, you know there there is a, a kind of people get stuck in that ecosystem, and it's very hard to get them out.
1: Well, but again, even if you have the Washington Post and the New York Times and Bloomberg and others treating the impeachment, the Biden impeachment process as legitimate, right? They're sim- when they're simply stating, "Oh, this is what uh, Jim Jordan and James Comer have said." But y- you have to provide this context that when they say we have a form from a source with the FBI who says that Biden is corrupt. You have to provide this context that says, well, look, our own intelligence community has told us for years that there is a network of Russian intelligence assets who are out spreading precisely that story. And without that context included, you're not doing your job.
2: Well, I think that's one of the things that you've said when this whole Smirnov case broke is this shouldn't be so prized. You know, everyone was saying, my goodness, the FBI source went bad. But your whole take on this was, well, the whole thing was bad from beginning. Um, Well, at this point in the podcast is where we have to say goodbye to our guests who are not yet subscribers. If you want to listen to the rest of the podcast and all of our other shows in full, just go to the DSRnetwork.com and click on membership. It's only $5 a month and it brings you a lot of great bonus content. So if you're not a subscriber, we hope you will be soon. And if you are one, stand by, particularly because we're going to talk about yachts. Um, But we, we will be back in one moment.
1: Thank you for listening to Above Average Intelligence, hosted every week by Mark Polymeropoulos and David Rothkopf. Above Average Intelligence is a production of the DSR Network and was produced by Riley Fessler.